So we've reached a critical point in the story of Ruth and Naomi. In the opening chapter, tragedy just dominated their lives, didn't it? As we heard in the video, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. Her son, Ruth's husband, died. Naomi's other son died. It's grim reading to start off with. Only Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, remained. And starving and vulnerable, Naomi and Ruth set off traveling back to Naomi's uh, hometown of Bethlehem, hoping against hope that somehow God might turn things around for them. As we heard in Luke's message last week, it's in Bethlehem that the first glimmers of hope shine through the darkness. Ruth went out to scour the edges of the fields, looking for fallen grain that she could gather up. And as a lone woman doing that, she was vulnerable. As a lone foreign woman from Moab, Israel's sworn enemy, she was even more so. And in that place of danger, in that moment of darkness, she was noticed by the owner of, his field, of the field. And his name was Boaz. Now, Boaz is the character that we're going to zero in on today. And spoiler alert, he is a really great character. We can learn so much from Boaz about how to be men and women who faithfully follow and obey God. And through Boaz's role in the story, we're going to see what God himself is like and the staggering things that he has done for you and for me. So in Boaz's field, instead of abuse and assault, Ruth found provision and protection. As we heard last week, he allowed her to glean barley in his field, as was required by God's law. But Boaz went way beyond the letter of the law to show her abundant generosity and true hospitality. Where Luke finished up last week, Ruth was on her way back to Naomi, laden with the grain that she'd gathered up in Boaz's fields and that he'd given her. We're going to pick up the story in chapter 2, verse 19. And I want you to picture the scene as she sort of staggers through the door with the equivalent of a shopping trolley full of food. And her mother-in-law, that's Naomi, said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Naomi's thrilled at the food that Ruth has brought home, quite understandably, but at the mention of the name Boaz, her excitement just hits another level. She's like, Boaz, he's he's one of our relatives. He's one of our redeemers. And now here, uh, we need to uh, delve into a little bit of uh, ancient Near Eastern history. Nobody's reaching for their phones and daydreaming, I hope. So in this society, when a man died, there were potentially catastrophic consequences for the family he left behind. And we've seen some of those play out in this story already. The widow having lost the breadwinner of the family, would face poverty. The husband's land, if he had any, would often have to be sold off uh, by the widow just for her to make ends meet. 
And because of that short-term necessity, the family would lose their long-term livelihood and their inheritance. Now, for the people of Israel, that would mean losing their treasured bit of the promised land, which God had given to them and which was a mark of their belonging to his chosen people. Some widows might even have to sell themselves into slavery just to survive. And that wasn't only a personal tragedy. For the people of Israel, it would violate the fact that God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He'd won their freedom. They belonged to him. So to become the slave of another would would just be horrible. Lastly, if the, the husband died without children, there would be nobody to look after the widow in old age when she couldn't fend for herself. And the family's legacy would be under threat. That was a big deal. In Hebrew culture, a man's life continued, in a sense, through his name enduring, being passed on through the generations. So without an heir, his memory, the very memory of him, would be eradicated. To counteract all of these awful things, God said in his law that he gave to his people that it was the responsibility of a close relative to become the protector of the bereaved family. This relative was called the kinsman redeemer. If a dead dead man's land had been sold, it fell to the redeemer to buy it back again, to keep it in the family. And if the deceased man left behind a widow, it was the kinsman redeemer who was to care for her. If she'd been forced to sell herself into slavery, he was to buy her back as soon as possible. And if the dead man left behind a widow, but no child, the redeemer was to marry the widow, to produce an heir on behalf of the deceased husband, somebody who could continue the family name, provide for his mother and any other family members in old age, and inherit his father's land that had been redeemed. God wrote compassion right into his law. He decreed that the kinsman redeemer was to be the savior of a family in desperate need. So on hearing about Boaz, Naomi suddenly sees this this potential way out for her and for Ruth. So let's read on in in chapter 3 and see what happens. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman, young woman you were? See, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But where he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet I'm going to guess startled is a bit of an understatement. (laughs) So Naomi's come up with a a scheme 
to entice Boaz to be the family's redeemer. Now, the goal is undoubtedly a good one. You know, she's, she's wanting security for Ruth and herself through a marriage between Ruth and Boaz. But the method of how she's sort of wanting to get there, mm, I think it's maybe a little bit suspect. It's not entirely clear what we're meant to think of uh, Naomi's instructions here. The author is, is deliberately ambiguous in their choice of words. Many of the words used in the passage in her instructions could have multiple meanings in Hebrews. I think it's meant to make us think, really? Mm. Her basic instructions are, go to the threshing floor at nighttime. Threshing floor is not exactly places that women would respectable women would be going alone. They're male-dominated places, probably lots of drinking going on at the end of the hard day's work. And the midnight setting here uh, implies, I think deliberately, that this is a time of danger for Ruth. Naomi says, make yourself attractive. You know, have a shower and put on some perfume and your nice clothes and don't make yourself known until he's had a few drinks. And then when he falls asleep, lie down next to him and wait. Commentators, do they disagree on whether Naomi's instructions were appropriate or not? But I think that there's no doubt that they leave, Naomi, they leave Ruth open to exploitation. You know, Ruth is really casting herself on Boaz's mercy and his compassion. She literally throws herself at his feet. Now, it's dark, and uh, he's just been woken up. He's probably confused and a bit bleary-eyed, and he says, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. They hadn't met before, so it must have been very dark. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You've made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you've not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Let's pause there on that cliffhanger. I want us to pause to just consider for a moment the character of this man, Boaz. He gives us an amazing example of godliness in an age of darkness. We know from the opening lines of the book of Ruth that this story took place in the days when the judges rule. And we know from the book of Judges itself that 
The time in which the judges ruled was generally a dismal time of idol worship, oppression of the weak, violence, and immorality. The final line in the book of Judges sums it up. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. To be honest, I think that pretty well encapsulates the spirit of our own age that we're living in. If doing what is right in your own eyes is lauded as a really great thing in our society. The problem is, when we wander away from doing what's right in the eyes of God, and when each one of us places ourselves as like the, the ultimate moral arbiter, things get ugly. You know, truth comes subjective, and evil gets justified, Selfishness reigns and the weak ultimately get trampled because the strong are able to just serve themselves. Boaz does the opposite of all of this. We already know that he was someone who submitted himself to the law of God. Last week we saw that in respect to his care for the outsider and the poor collecting grain in his field. His application of the law was not penny-pinching and nitpicking. It wasn't selfish like the Pharisees, you know, trying to get away with the bare minimum. Rather, in the hands of Boaz, the law of God is always an instrument to display the abundant love of God. There's more evidence of that in the passage that we just read. Faced with this tempting, compromising situation, Boaz's instincts are to honor God and honor Ruth. It's remarkable how much poise and self-control he exhibits, having literally just been woken up in the middle of the night. We've got two young kids, uh, so being woken up at midnight is a fairly common experience still. And I've got to say... I'd love to function as graciously and lovingly in those moments as Boaz does in this encounter. Immediately, he calms any fears that she might have about being taken advantage of. He uses the respectful and and caring term, daughter. And then, despite the perhaps dubious method of Ruth's proposal, he's not harsh and condemning. He recognizes that Ruth's actions have been driven by loyalty to Naomi, her mother-in-law. He says that she could have gone after any number of uh, eligible bachelors in, uh, in Bethlehem, but if she had, then none of them would have had any obligations to care for Naomi too. That's why he says this kindness was greater than the first. Only a family redeemer like Boaz would provide protection for Naomi as well as Ruth. So Ruth, she risked her own reputation and her own safety here for the sake of Naomi. Boaz sees the good in Ruth's intentions and he calls it out. And friends, we should do that for one another. We should always be looking to see the good in one another and to call it out at every opportunity. Seeing the godly things that people do and affirming them and saying great well done he's immediately concerned with Ruth's future her reputation her material well-being he says let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor because he knows if this ended up in Bethlehem's gossip columns her reputation would be finished 
He instructs her to wait until it's light and therefore safe to go home. And before she leaves, he yet again gives her a huge bag of food, almost as a guarantee that he will fulfill his promises. And vitally, he pledges to redeem Ruth. As it turned out, it was actually some other close relative's responsibility to do this under the law. Boaz, was, he was excused from any duty of care toward Ruth by the letter of the law. But as he did earlier in the story, Boaz goes way beyond the letter of the law to display the spirit of the law, the character of God. He knew that God's desire, as revealed in Scripture, is always that the destitute are cared for. So he pledged to do everything in his power to make that happen. Now, Boaz's godly reactions, his godly instincts, they don't just happen by accident. You know, people say in pressure situations that your real self comes out. This is a a high-pressure encounter, and Boaz just displays godliness as he has throughout the story now this can only come through being steeped in the knowledge of God that comes from his word Boaz has heeded Psalm 119 and he's hidden the word of God in his heart so that it flows naturally into his life and his actions his decisions Surrounded by people who did what was right in their own eyes, Boaz is like the man described in Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. We learn that Boaz isn't a young man in this passage. He says, you could have gone after the young men, but you went after me instead, implying that he's not all that young. I find that interesting. Advanced age doesn't automatically uh, produce godliness, but walking with God year after year, making a thousand unglamorous, godly choices, being faithful in the unseen moments and in the trials of life, that produces faith more precious than gold. I want God to use the passing of the years in my life to, to make me more like him. And I hope you do too. Let's be men and women like Boaz, who commit ourselves to meditating on the word and the character of God day after day until it gets deep within us. When no one's watching, follow God's ways. And when everyone else around you is doing what is right in their own eyes, set your gaze on God. Live to please him according to what he's told us in his word. It is trustworthy and good, and it will produce good fruit in your life. Boaz well illustrates Jesus' words, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. We do well to imitate Boaz. 
But there's so much more to him than just a good example to follow, as we're about to see from the next bit of the story in chapter 4, where Boaz sets about fulfilling his promises to Ruth. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of who Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, and sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know that there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. He said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, whoa, (laughs) I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself. I cannot redeem it. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belongs to Elimelech and all that belongs to Kilion and Machlon, Elimelech's sons. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Machlon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. What a turnaround. Now, this last passage is a a wee bit complex, but essentially, Boaz goes to find the man who is a closer uh, relative to see if he's going to be the redeemer. We don't know this guy's name. Uh, The Hebrew could most directly be translated as something like Mr. (laughs) So-and-so. At first, Boaz only tells Mr. So-and-so that he has the chance to redeem some land that belonged to Naomi's dead husband. This seems like a great idea at first, but when the man hears that Ruth is part of the bargain, he runs a mile. First, Ruth is a Moabite. Why would he want her? And she's of childbearing age. It would be his, his duty to marry her and produce heirs that would then inherit that bit of land that he had just purchased. It's a bad financial deal for him and for his kids. So he's like, no thank you. All he can see is his own self-interest. No deal. Ironically, he's driven by uh, maintaining his own fortune, his own legacy, and most importantly, his own name, But in this story, his name is very deliberately absent for all of time. It's a great illustration, isn't it, of how we as as human beings, we tend to desperately try and cling to what we have, but we so often find it slipping through our fingers anyway. It's only when we trust in God and take steps of faith. Really dig into what he's asking us to do and follow him that we find true blessing. 
The contrast between Mr. So-and-so and Boaz could not be starker. Boaz is willing to pay the price, and he does so. In fact, the language used in the Hebrew suggests he's, he's eager to pay the cost in order to have Ruth. He buys the land, he marries Ruth, he gives her a child, and he takes Naomi under his protection. All is well. In his role as redeemer of this family, Boaz reflects God. You see, the role of family redeemer was always designed to point to the ultimate redeemer, God himself. In Exodus 6, God said to Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." is one of the great themes of the Old Testament. Throughout the Psalms and the prophets, God reassures his people that he is their redeemer. And at the coming of Jesus, we see the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to redeem. Boaz's redemption of Ruth points forward like a, a huge signpost to Jesus' redemption of you and me. Ruth's situation without Boaz was dark, but not nearly as dark as our own without Jesus. Ruth was hungry, but the Bible says that without Jesus, we were spiritually dead. When we choose our own ways instead of God's ways, we choose death over life. Ruth faced the grim prospect of having to sell herself into slavery if her fortunes didn't turn around. But we were already enslaved by our own brokenness. Rejecting God's truth, we were slaves to our own destructive choices. When you do what's right in your own eyes, selfishness and pride are like chains that you cannot escape from. Without Boaz, Ruth and Naomi faced an uncertain future. Without Jesus, our future was eternally bleak. But in Jesus, we have a Redeemer who has offered every one of us freedom from all of that. You might be hearing this and and realizing that you've never said yes to that offer of redemption that only Jesus provides. In a moment, there's going to be an opportunity for you to come to Jesus, empty though you are, and ask him to fill you. Jesus gives eternal life. Through him, we become servants of righteousness instead of slaves to sin. In him, we're given a hope and a future, and he leads us into rest. He adopts us into God's family forever so that we're free to enjoy the liberty of being children of God. How is this possible? Because Jesus paid the cost. 
when Boaz redeemed Ruth, we saw that redemption is costly. The redeemer had to buy the land or the person at their own cost. It was a cost Mr. So-and-so was not willing to pay. What was the cost of our redemption from sin and death? It was Jesus' own life, his blood. Redeeming you wasn't a financial setback for Jesus. It led him all the way to the cross. Crucifixion was the Romans' method of executing slaves in the most humiliating and degrading way possible. And as slaves to sin, we deserved a slave's death. And yet Jesus stepped in the way. He endured the torture, the humiliation, and the agonizing death so that you and me could walk free. And he paid this cost willingly, eagerly, not under any compulsion. Boaz had the power to redeem Ruth, but as we saw, he didn't have to. It was some other guy's responsibility. Likewise, Jesus gave his own life to redeem you because he chose to. Boaz took initiative to save Ruth and Naomi. He went out of his way to make it happen. Or Jesus came from the glory of heaven to the squalor of earth to save you. Talk about taking the initiative. Why? Why did he bother Well, again, I think we see clues in the story of Boaz. Why did Boaz redeem Ruth? I've already tried to show that he was motivated by God's law, but there's so much more going on here than just Boaz being an upstanding guy and doing the right thing. There's more than a few hints throughout the story that Boaz is drawn to Ruth. Right from the off, there seems to be an attraction there. A love for this woman that drives him to do whatever is needed to redeem her. There is a bias towards Ruth in Boaz's heart. And that is exactly how Jesus feels about you. Believe it or not, his heart is drawn to you. He's taken notice of you. He is passionate about you. He loves you. And that is why he so willingly paid the unimaginable cost for your redemption. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, He endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? It was making you his own. Did you deserve it? No. Like Ruth, you were an enemy to God. Do you bring anything to the table? No. Like Ruth, you're empty-handed, and yet he loves you. Like Ruth, the only thing that you can give to God is your pledge of loyalty. She had nothing else to bring, just her heart. But she gave it without reserve. If you're not yet... A Christian, I I hope you realize that you stand empty-handed before God this morning. Now is the time to throw yourself at the feet of Jesus 
and find that he is eager and able to save you. This isn't about me. It's not about the person next to you. Right now, it's about you and Jesus. This is the time to come to him and declare that you need him. Why don't you tell him that right now? Ask him, as Ruth asked Boaz, to redeem you, to give you true life, freedom, a hope and a future. Until now, you've been the the Lord of your life. Well, now is the time to hand over the reins to him. And as you throw yourself at his feet, you'll find that everything has already been done that needed to be done to save you through Jesus' death on the cross. The price has already been paid in his blood. The only appropriate response is to leave behind the lie that you can somehow sort everything out yourself. Walk away from the illusion that you are in control and run into the arms of your Redeemer. If you want to ask Jesus to redeem you today, then I want to invite you to pray this prayer along with me. Jesus, I come to you empty. I realize that I cannot save myself and I need you to be my redeemer, to save me from my own sin, all the things I've done wrong, which lead to death. Thank you that you love me and that you died for me. Please forgive me and bring me into your family now. I want to live for you. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer, then what Boaz said to Ruth is what Jesus says to you now. Do not fear. I will do all that you ask. And if you prayed that prayer, please do tell somebody. The Bible says that we're to uh, not keep it to ourselves. Profess that Jesus Christ is Lord with our mouths. Tell people. I'd love to chat with you after the service if if that's something that you've uh, prayed this morning. And if you are a Christian, the only appropriate response is to rejoice in all that Jesus has done for you and determine to live in the freedom from sin that he has won for you. You are redeemed. So live in accordance with that new identity that he's given you. Let's thank God with the words of Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. We're going to spend time celebrating that by singing about Jesus, our Redeemer, and then we're going to take communion together. Taking communion, bread and wine, or grape juice uh, like we have here is for those who've put their trust in Jesus to be their Redeemer. If you've done that, this is a meal that Jesus uh, told you to enjoy in remembrance of what he's achieved for you on the cross. He has given his body and his blood for you. So let's sing and celebrate.